You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello, welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, here on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, 34-year police veteran, author of A Cop's Life, and the founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today and have a great guest waiting for us in the interview room. So without further ado, let's get into the briefing room. We are actually watching the dismembering of police power to protect the people. What do I mean by that? We are seeing, we're seeing court decisions we're seeing uh, prosecutorial decisions. We are seeing political decisions all being geared against law enforcement officers and the power that they use to protect the people. All right, let's get down to basics for a second. Why do cops exist? What does the word law enforcement officer mean? Well, let's take it to its simplest denominator. Law enforcement officer. That means you enforce the laws. This is not rocket science. But what is happening across America is, is a, a, legi- a legitimate effort on the part of politicians, the media, and now even the courts to limit the power of policing to the point where Quite literally, it's the end of proactive policing. There is a court decision that just came down from the Oregon State Supreme Court that is mind-boggling. And this, my friends, is the death knell for proactive policing in Oregon. And I'm not exaggerating when I talk about how important this decision is and how destructive it is to law enforcement in Oregon. The Oregon Supreme Court ruled that law enforcement officers cannot ask questions to help discover other offenses. Yeah, you heard me right. Here's here's the discourse decision. And this is these are supposed to be educated smart people. And yet they have come down with a decision that is astoundingly ignorant. The Oregon Supreme Court has ruled that law enforcement officers must stick to questions, quote, reasonably related, unquote, to the reasons for a traffic stop and cannot ask questions that could lead to the discovery of other crimes. The Oregon Public Broadcasting Corporation reported that the ruling will prohibit officers from turning a traffic stop into, quote, a fishing expedition for more serious offenses. Unquote. The ruling banned officers from asking questions about the presence of guns or drugs unless it is related to the reason for the stop. And here's, they they gloated about this. Here's, Here's the quote. No longer can officers use a broken taillight or a failure to signal as a justification for scouting a driver's car 
for illegal guns or drugs, unquote. All right, so here's what happened. This case came out of uh, um, Beaverton Police in 2015. Uh, they made a car stop on a subject. He gave police consent to search his vehicle. The officer found a package of methamphetamine. His attorneys argued that the search of the car was unconstitutional because it was the result of an officer asking questions outside the scope of the investigation into the driver's failure to use the turn signal. Now, here, both the trial court and the Oregon Court of Appeals rejected that and said it's ridiculous. But the Oregon State Supreme Court decided to hear this case. And their ruling is, is mind-boggling. So what does this mean in terms of reality? When police make a legitimate car stop for even minor offenses, this is proactive policing. This is the bread and butter of what makes a cop a good cop. Because you can, every time you make a car stop or a pedestrian stop, you are taking an incident and then looking for um, an upper level crime like guns or dope or, or um, uh, violent crime. You know, let me tell you this. If, if after the Oklahoma City bombing that killed hundreds of people, if the Oklahoma police were under the guidelines of this court decision, Timothy McVeigh would never have been arrested and would have gotten away with murder. He was stopped for a minor license plate violation. And through good policing and questioning, the trooper who stopped him developed the probable cause to search the car and discover evidence of the bombing. Now, the, the Supreme Court of Oregon is now denying that ability to all of law enforcement officers in that entire state. In fact, it gets even worse. In essence, what this court decision is, is saying is that cops can't even talk to the driver or the occupants other than about the particular offense. In reality, that means that you can't even say, oh, how's your day going, sir? Or uh, where are you coming from? He has to be like the automaton, the robot. Please, sir, may I see your driver's license? I am going to issue you a citation. And that's it. This is going to this is going to affect uh the morale of the of the of the police for sure but most importantly it's going to affect the public safety because if the police can't actively investigate crimes that they that they could discover on a traffic stop then people are going to be getting away with murder quite literally so i can make a car stop on you for a traffic violation see a dead body in the back seat, and I can't ask you about it. Have you ever heard of anything more ridiculous in your life? By, di by dismantling policing as we know it, the 
courts like this and and the people who are gloating because of it don't even realize the far-reaching effects of making a, 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 a decision like this. Policing is now fundamentally changed forever in the state of Oregon. And what really concerns me is, as we have seen dominoes falling in many cities across America where prosecutors are quite literally making up their own laws to enforce or not to enforce, we're going to see other states that um, also are, are liberally leaning and have them make the same decisions. Quite literally, this is means that why are cops even there? If, if, if they, you take away all of the tools that they need to fight crime, then what do they exist for? Now, so when I talk about uh, the, the, dis the dismembering of law enforcement as we know it, that's what we're seeing. Now take this, this Oregon situation. That's, that's a huge deal. But then add to that the fact that there are now dozens of activist prosecutors that got literally got elected on the platforms of not prosecuting people for major offenses. Then you add on to that legislatures like in California who decriminalize pretty much everything. Then add on to that situations like are about to happen in New York with the quote um, how, how are they reforming? Yeah, reforming of the bail system. What does that mean? Well, guess what that means. That means that people are uh, going to be released from jail after committing what they are calling nonviolent crimes. Well, how about sexual assault? Do you consider that a nonviolent crime? I sure as hell don't, but the state legislature in New York does. How about mm, pedophilia? Do you consider that a nonviolent crime? Well, the state legislature does. How about assault? Hmm, I always thought that was violent. Well, not anymore. Kidnapping. I always thought that kidnapping was a violent crime, but according to the lawmakers in New York, that isn't either. So in essence, you commit any of these crimes, you're going to get a ticket and be released. It is absolutely insane. Who's going to pay the price? The people who live there, the victims. And it is going to be a bloodbath as time goes by. And, and the reality is that no one is going to be held accountable. The criminals aren't going to be held accountable because they're not even showing up for court. Why should they? The, the lawmakers who, who ridiculously uh, codified this insanity, they're not going to be held accountable. They're out doing their, their liberal song and dance. And the victims, they are not even going to have a voice. This turnabout in our society 
where victims are not even considered when it comes down to criminal justice decisions is is paramount to um, just upending the criminal justice system as we know it. I'm more than worried about the this this pendulum that has swung so far to the left. Um, instead of it becoming more centered, it is continuing its left-leaning ideology. And I can tell you, the body count is going to go way up because of it. Well, that's it for the briefing room. We've got a great guest waiting for us, and uh, I'll see you over in the interview room. I've got an announcement to make. It's about a new company, and uh, it's a company that is near and dear to my heart because I'm part of it. And not only am I part of it, but this company was created to help injured and disabled law enforcement officers. This company is called Law Dog Coffee Company. That's right, Law Dog Coffee Company. Tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. Oh, yeah. Now, I got to tell you, I love coffee. I've been drinking it since I was a wee lad. And uh, there's nothing better than sitting in a cold patrol car with a hot cup of coffee. And we have done a deal with the Costa Rican government to bring in some of the finest ethically grown coffee that is that is available anywhere. It is delicious. And uh, you got to get yourself a bag of it. Go to LawDogCoffeeCompany.com. That's LawDogCoffeeCompany.com. Get yourself a couple bags of, of uh, fantastic premium coffee. And then get to me on Facebook and tell me what you think about it. Law Dog Coffee Company. Tastes so good. Ought to be illegal. As we say, let the silent voices be heard. Shadow Bannon, editing, censorship, blocking, and adherence to political correctness are seen as serious threats to our God-given right of free speech. Suppressing free speech, the very cornerstone of our society, is not in the best interest of our listeners, readers, and those who provide our content. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. 
The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. This is Dr. Ron Martinelli, forensic criminologist and host of A Thread of Evidence on America Out Loud. If you'd like to find out what forensic criminologists really do in the field and you're tired of the false narratives about law enforcement and want to unpack the cases that I've worked throughout the nation, then please pick up a copy of my new book, The Truth Behind the Black Lives Matter Movement and the War on Police, on sale right now at Amazon.com. That's The Truth Behind the Black Lives Matter Movement and the War on Police at Amazon.com. I have a very special guest with me today on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. He's not only a dedicated law enforcement officer, uh, he has uh, created an organization that is assisting police officers and uh, law enforcement officers all over this country, and I consider him a friend. Brad Shepard. Let me explain who Brad Shepard is. He is the chief executive officer of Warriors Rest Foundation. And he is a retired captain from the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. He served as a commander over the Troop J Field Troop. He was uh, also the Oklahoma Highway Patrol's uh, Officer Assistance Program, as well as Tactical Commander over the Emergency Services Unit. Um, his, uh, his pedigree is, is um, amazing. He's done incredible things for law enforcement. And I'm very proud to have you on my show. Brad, thanks so much for joining me on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Thanks for having me, Randy. I'm excited to be here. Well, let's let's talk about, first of all, there's so much to talk about today. This topic is, um, we're talking about, quite literally, the lives and mental health of law enforcement officers all over this country. And... What you have um, created here with your organization, the Warriors Rest Foundation, is uh, is literally touching the lives of uh, untold numbers of police officers around this country. Let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about why you created this organization and a little bit of, of your background. Sure. Uh, so I, I spent... Uh, 25-year uh, career uh, seeing uh, and, and navigating through uh, even some of my uh, personal uh, tragedies within our department, uh, losing, uh, losing some dear friends there and recognizing that, that uh, it takes its toll on, 
on my life, my relationships. Uh, and then the last decade of my career, uh, I went through a, uh, got trained in some crisis intervention and really started developing, uh, and, and, uh, uh, growing a passion, a rich, deep passion to help other officers, other troopers, other deputies, uh, law enforcement, commu- uh, communications, uh, personnel navigate this crazy career, uh, because we all need help. That's the one thing that I figured out is that you just, you really have a hard time doing this on your own. So I became peer trained, peer support trained and developed a strong, rich passion to, uh, to help those others. Uh, and from that, uh, late uh you know late in my career i started looking at well how can we replicate ourselves to do this we need more people uh out here doing this uh so that that uh that passion grew into well let's start let's start teaching and training other people to be able to do this and start start bringing more people in to help uh do what we've been doing so you created this foundation the warriors rest foundation Yes, and mm-hmm. and you have you have quite a, a staff. You have um, a psychologist who is um, has a has a, a great deal of experience in trauma. You have uh, all retired, <coughs> excuse me, and active duty law enforcement working with you, and and tell me about how your model works and and how you assist. Um, other agencies to set up peer support teams. Well, that 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 is true. I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and and, and echo what you said there, just and just to elaborate a little bit. Uh, Dr. Kathy Thomas is uh, is our clinical director, and uh, she's a clinical psychologist with a private practice out of Stillwater, Oklahoma. But she has been working in the law enforcement and first responder industry for uh, well over. Uh, 25 years and has an enormous passion to to help uh, law enforcement officers and their families uh, stay healthy in this in this game uh, the other uh, the other uh, part of my team which is uh, my co-founder Brett key uh, is is uh, still employed as a lieutenant with the Oklahoma High Patrol uh, strong passion presenter uh, educator on wellness uh, Gary Berryhill, retired U.S. Marshal, uh, does a lot of the planning and, and logistics uh, setup, director of operations uh, for uh, getting these team builds uh, ready and, and organized and get them trained. Um, and then Gary Isbell, who's still actually employed as a captain with Oklahoma High Patrol, he runs the peer program for Oklahoma High Patrol. Uh, but on his own personal time will come work for us and, and, and they're all trainers. Uh, and then additionally, we can draw down on some contract, uh, peers, contract counselors, uh, that, that can come help us and assist us in, in building these peer teams. So back to your, back to your, uh, follow-up question there. What does this look like? So our main mission, our main mission is to uh, build peer teams. We want more peer teams built out there uh, and, and replicating some of the successes that we've seen both through the Oklahoma Highway Patrol and the U.S. Marshals uh, peer support program. Uh, so we want to get these P- 
peer programs built out there. So we go uh, into an agency and uh, we'll bring uh, two or three instructors in and we'll put them through uh, ICISF-based training, uh, CISM, uh, Critical Incident Stress Management uh, Training, which is a, a crisis intervention piece. But along, but along with that, we, uh, we have a uh, curriculum as well that we, we give to them about how does, the, how does this whole thing work? How does, how does the peer team uh, function and operate through some lessons learned, uh, through some uh, experiences, through some, you know, some people across the country who have been very successful uh, at this. And we've drawn down on, on, their, uh, on their experience and said, here, let's, let's really help uh, bolster this team. And then lastly, one of the, the additional things we do is give them some train-the-trainer uh, type wellness programs uh, that we've had some of our uh, counselors build for us. And then they can start teaching proactively within their agency things like uh, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, uh, uh, nutrition, uh, um, sub- substance abuse prevention, you know, uh, suicide prevention. Uh, so so really it helps start a dialogue within that agency about uh, talking about some things that are sometimes difficult to talk about or not talked about at all. Uh, and it really helps that peer team uh uh, give it bolster it and, and give it some support to be able to uh, really start having those conversations within those agencies. So that's what that looks like. You've and you've managed to do this very successfully. Um, now there are so many challenges that law enforcement officers face literally each and every day. Um, mm-hmm. They they run the gamut from you know using deadly force. Um, visually seeing some of the the most uh, horrendous things that human beings can do to one another. Um, there is single incident traumas that can have lifelong effects. There is the cumulative trauma of literally years of exposure to, uh, uh, to you know, uh, ugliness. And, Absolutely. And it all comes down to, I think, at, at this point in law enforcement, there's a greater understanding that we cannot do it alone. And, and so your focus um, is peer counseling. Why is peer counseling so critical at this, at, you know, with, within law enforcement? Well, I, I, I think uh, I think a couple things uh, to answer that question: why peer why peer support is so so critical. Uh, one that comes to mind immediately is the culture, um, uh, and it's not just law enforcement; it's most first responders uh, within their respective disciplines, uh, firemen, EMS. Uh, the culture the culture is prone to being very private and very uh, untrusting uh, and keeping. Uh, keeping people at arm's length. So where peer support uh, begins to knock down the barriers of that is peer, peer, peer support is just two partners having a conversation. Uh, one of them just happens to be trained in uh, maybe a crisis intervention piece uh, or some wellness type uh, training. Uh, so that peer that's trained gives, the, gives his partner, his friend, uh, not just a listening ear, but also 
uh, starts redirecting an avenue of challenging their their you know their negative thinking or whatever whatever uh, whatever difficult spot that they may be in. Uh, but the other piece of that why it's so critical is they are they are a, a very valuable conduit to uh, that mental health professional. So it's so much so much easier for somebody who's struggling to have a partner come over and say, hey, let me help you and I'll, I'll walk with you to go see this mental health professional. That just, and I've seen it firsthand, they, the, the law enforcement officer is so much more uh, um, willing uh, to, to make that, uh, to walk that path uh, to go see a mental health professional if there's somebody, a trusted person standing beside them walking alongside them. That's why that peer support piece really works so well. Uh, in my in my opinion, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that that uh, I find so critical is there there is literally almost every single day um, a headline in in the police newspapers and 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 websites uh, news websites that um, law enforcement suicide. It seems to be taking place on an ever-increasing uh, scale, including, you know, really dramatic statements, if you will, where officers are actually killing themselves in their own police stations or in their units. Um, just just uh, today, uh, a, a horrible situation out of Florida where a, um, a, a deputy killed his entire family and then killed himself. Um, while while you know negotiators tried to tried to talk him down, so you know we're seeing this and it's heartbreaking to see. And if we don't, as a profession, start learning and and taking proactive steps like creating peer support uh, within the organization, we're going to continue to see this. And and, and um, are you seeing? police agencies taking a much more proactive role in, in like, like bringing you in to train people? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. And, and this, this, this whole topic is, is a, uh, is a true tragedy. Uh, there, the, the numbers are, the numbers are alarming and, uh, I'm not an expert in research, but what I've read is that, that, that we probably are not even seeing close to what the real numbers are associated with this, this suicide piece. Uh, but yes, there, the, the culture as a, as a whole is changing to, to just because, um, I recently, uh, recently got a phone call from a chief, uh, from out of, out of state up in Northeast, uh, United States. And, and that was his very thing. He said, I'm so worried uh, that this may happen. Of course, we had that communication of, of you know, are you do you have any immediate concerns? And it, it was not an immediate concern. But how do you get out ahead of this? And so we had a conversation with about uh, just about how to talk about this, how to bring this up, and how to really have uh, dialogue about you know are, how's everyone doing really, you know, and what to look for, what signs and uh, you know within your within your agency, what what some of those things look like and, and what uh, 
what what you should be looking for. So I think the culture is changing, Randy. I think the I think their eyes being opened uh, if if from the suicide piece alone, but there's so many other there are so many other things. Just like you said earlier, this this law enforcement uh, career really uh, takes its toll on a on a person and the and the loved ones around him or her as as they navigate their career. It's very difficult. It's a honorable and noble profession. Um, men and women with uh, courageous hearts uh, trying to navigate this crazy thing and they need you're right they need help they need us come alongside saying hey I did 25 years here's here's where I messed up and here's where I hope you can uh, stay healthy you know just that kind of just that kind of conversation piece those are the kind of things that we really need to be having uh, talks about when when you're out um, presenting to not to different police, Groups, for instance, uh, you may be called upon to speak to one organization, um, you know, one one law enforcement uh, organization, or you may be asked to speak to uh, a wide variety of of officers and first responders. Are you seeing um, within the culture now? Are you seeing more? Um, acceptance to uh, to ask for help than you have seen in the past, or are you still seeing a lot of resistance for, say, reasons of, of stigma or even punishment for asking for help? Well, that's uh, that probably would be a tricky question for me, and, and, and here's, here's why. I, I'm actually seeing more uh, people asking, hey, will you come? you know, speak to us, but that, I think that's skewed because of what I'm doing currently. Um, see, I'm not really seeing those people who, <laughs> who aren't asking. So I don't know that that would be, I don't know that that would be a true answer to your, to your question. My viewpoint would be very skewed to, I'm getting a lot of those phone calls. So I'm naturally going to see, wow, there's a lot of changing, but I also, uh, am still, uh, very in tune with my agency, and a couple agencies that I was connected strongly with, and I don't see necessarily that that change there. Uh, so I hope I would love to think that this this whole culture is is turning and, and changing, but it is still it's that tough persona that I can handle it, I can work through it. I'm I'm going to be okay. Um, I'm going to be fine. This will go away. Uh, so there's still some of that. So I don't know. I don't know that we're fully, fully have uh, turned the corner on acceptance of of this. I hope we have, um, but there's a there is definitely a lot of people reaching out saying, "Hey, can you come help us? Can you come teach us? Can you come train us?" Um, <laughs> we're even getting, you know, we're we're getting those calls. Hey, I'm, I'm I need a suicide intervention. Can you come help me now? Uh, so right. those calls. So. Yeah. You know those those were were involved in that as well. So uh, that 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 question I don't know would be, would be a little bit tricky for me to really to to really answer, uh, Randy. Well, you know one of the one of the things that I'm still I'm still getting communications from police officers around the country who are um, at, they're they're frightened of their own administrations and asking for help because they're they're right. you know we. 
we got to face the reality. There are there are still states that um, that don't recognize post traumatic stress as as something real, and if you ask for help in some agencies, they will they'll terminate you, or they'll they'll right. they'll, they'll they'll reassign you quote unquote. So there's such a huge stigma attached. How do we how do we as as a um, a profession how do we deal with that and make changes so that so that these injustices don't preclude these these men and women from asking for help you know what that's a great question um, and I don't I don't know that I have I don't know that I have the answers but I do I do know that that ignoring it is not going to help it so we really have to start uh, sitting down at the table with experts in the field and saying, how, how, your question is spot on. How can we start opening our eyes up to this and really start navigating this? Those, those, those conversations need to be had. Uh, those those, those uh, people at the table really need to be sitting down and saying, hey, this is real. Uh, just because somebody doesn't recognize uh, post-traumatic uh, symptoms uh, – as a, as a, you know, some type of, this is real. Well, you ask those police officers, they, they know it's real. It's real because I'm living with it every day. I hear, I hear the voices. I hear the screams. I see the, I see the images, you know, those, those, that's what's real. So the, the, the question that you're posing is excellent and it needs to be posed to all of us. All of us across the country need to be, uh, sitting up and paying attention saying, Hey, how can I help me individually as the leader of my agency or my, the uh, legislator in my community? How can I help? Uh, how, how can I bring help to these men and women of law enforcement? So, uh, that, I, I think it's a great question. I don't know that I'm the, I'm the right guy to answer that, but I feel very passionate about somebody. We all need to be setting up and having a dialogue about how can we, we can no longer ignore this. We need to start talking about it. So I agree. And one of the, I think that, that um, I have a deep respect for those law enforcement leaders who take this subject seriously and do take a proactive approach as opposed to waiting for that critical incident to happen where they suffer the loss due to a suicide or some other traumatic an event like this murder-suicide down in Florida, rather than waiting until that tragic occurrence happens and then dealing with it, they take there, there are true leaders that take a proactive approach and say, let's deal with it now so that it doesn't get to that point. And I think that's the, that's the message that we need to get to law enforcement leadership. Oh, absolutely. Uh, recently spoke with... Uh, spoke with a police chief that his, his, his department has uh, uh, pretty much carte blanche open door to uh, the mental health professionals. That includes their family members. If they want to go uh, twice a year, if they want to go 10 times a year, they it's, it's go, go do it. Take care of it. We want you healthy. Uh, you know, those are, those are the, uh, you know, opposite end of the spectrum, but those are the ones that really make you, uh, proud that you you know we have we have some excellent uh leadership in our country uh over some of these police agencies and those are the ones that really make you go wow i'm i'm really 
really glad to see that, you know, so those, there are those, there are some people out there who really get it, uh, who really understand it. And I'll tell you that, uh, uh, that police chief that I was, uh, I was having a conversation with about his, his agency, uh, experienced it. I mean, he, you can, you can go right back to, in fact, the very question, the first time I heard him speak, uh, afterwards, I went up and said, you don't speak like normal police chiefs. I want to know what's different. Uh, and he'd had personal tragedy that he, you could draw back down on and take right back to, okay, from here I grew, uh, and now I'm well aware of, of trying to take care of my officers because of that, my personal tragedy. So it was a really good, uh, it was really fun to watch and see, uh, and hear him communicate his passion to keep his officers healthy. So, you know, there's, there's, there are some out there. It's, it's, it's not like there's none. Uh, but again, you know, we, we have to keep on this path of, of keeping these officers healthy and, and getting these, uh, programs set up to, to where we can, we can all, you know, keep, keep headed in this direction of wellness and, and positive energy for these officers. One of the things that I found uh, very revealing, um, from when I, when I wrote, uh, one of my, one of my books, The Cop's Life, I got messages from cops around the country, uh, emails, letters, saying, Randy, I want to thank you for writing that book because I thought I was alone in my feelings and I was really thinking about committing suicide. And I realized at that point that this is really what peer support is about. Showing that that the officer who is being affected by the trauma that, that they've been exposed to, they feel so isolated. They feel so alone. They feel like, oh, there must be something wrong with me because I'm feeling this way. And I think, isn't that the really the crux of what peer support is? Being, being uh, made aware that what you are feeling is, is not abnormal. You're not, you're not weird. You're not crazy. You're feeling something that is a common feeling amongst officers. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. That's, that's exactly how peer support works. Once you, once you really uh, go through that training and then you want to really start having a conversation as a peer, you start realizing, okay, the more, the more I tell my story, the more I connect and, and, and the people that I'm working with, recognize you know what i'm not in this alone i'm not the only one that feels this way i'm not i'm not weird uh there's not anything wrong with me you know those those you're spot on with those thoughts exactly and that's exactly how peer uh sport works and it's, it's it's not it's not rock science it's not it's not uh you know you don't have to be a, a phd to to do peer support you have to be real you have to be transparent you have to be uh be willing to just sit there uh and listen to somebody's story story is and uh and you're you're gonna you're gonna be heartbroken with them you're gonna be sad with them you're gonna uh you're gonna probably share the emotion that they that they're going through uh um but it's uh so rewarding uh to be sitting across from somebody who will say man thanks because i just didn't i didn't think there was anybody else like you thank you so much for uh sitting here and talking with me that is an enormous uh, reward, 
uh, to be able to know that you've made a difference. That's that's why we enjoy doing this, and that's why we want to uh, replicate ourselves uh, as quickly as as fast as we can because we want those people uh, uh, heard. We need those people. They need to be heard. You know. So you're correct, Randy. That's that's a spot on observation. When um, so there there are there are definitely you know law enforcement officers listening to this broadcast now. Many are are um, thinking along the lines of, well, if I can really play a role and I can become a peer support um, counselor myself, how would these officers who are who are interested in um, in learning more or even becoming a peer support team member in their own communities? What would you suggest to them? Uh, is there is there an avenue that they can reach out to you for advice or to get trained? Absolutely. Uh, there's uh, the the in, International Critical Incident Stress Foundation uh, Critical Incident Stress Management. I know that's a mouthful, uh, and the, the acronym is ICISF CISM. Uh, that's that's pretty much the baseline for the crisis intervention piece. Um, I would strongly encourage also uh, that anybody that wants to do peer work uh, have a, a suicide intervention piece specifically. Uh, and then uh, those two trainings uh, will pretty much uh, at a baseline level will prepare you to be able to be a, to be a peer. Uh, some states, not all states, but some states recognize the CISM uh, confidentiality piece and support that with a with state statute. Not all states do, but some do. So that's a, that's an important piece to recognize as well. But if you if you're really wanting a peer team, uh, I would love to talk to anybody about uh, how to do that, uh, or if maybe they'd like for us to come uh, train them. Uh, they're more than welcome to jump on our website, uh, WarriorsRestFoundation.org. Uh, they can do a little uh, looking around there, look at our trainers, look at, look at who, who our team is. Uh, there's uh, some phone numbers on there. Some uh, you can shoot us a shoot us call. Uh, or there's a um, there's a contact us that goes straight to our email. Uh, if they want to reach out to, uh, via email and say, hey, I'd like to visit, uh, we'd love to have a conversation about peer work. That's our real that's our passion anyway. We'd love to talk to them about. Uh, uh, how to be able to do that. And the other thing is, uh, if there's officers listening here who are, uh, they're struggling and they're, they're having a hard time, they need to visit, uh, uh, jump on the website, uh, look us up and give us a call. Uh, you, you, I say this many times, uh, if you're struggling, you don't have to stay there. There's help. Uh, there's help for you. We can, we can find you help. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, important pieces that we've been doing for a while is, is uh, Dr. Thomas is trying to create a network of counselors across the country uh, that we can use, utilize, and a moment's notice to be able to say, hey, in, in, in Utah, we have somebody called in Utah, can we, uh, can, we get you, uh, can we get you a counselor up there and we're going to help you do that. So if you find yourself uh, listening to this and you – you think, man, I could really use a listening ear. You can jump on our website and give us a call there as well. So as we, we're running out of time, so I <clears throat> I want to just say this. That, um, to my listeners, I have attended the training that the Warriors Rest Foundation gives 
uh, as have um, the peer team of my new organization, the Wounded Blue. And I can tell you from firsthand um, experience that uh, Brad and his team are incredibly um, understanding, they are competent, and they are dedicated. And, and I just want to read the Warriors Rest Foundation uh, on their letterhead. Helping law enforcement build resilience through trust and courage. And uh, I just want to say thank you for all you are doing for the American law enforcement officer, Brad. And thanks for being a guest on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. There's something very important I want you to do for me. If you've been listening to the voice of American law enforcement for any time, you know that we are very dedicated to the law enforcement community here. I would like you to go to a website. It's www.thewoundedblue.org. I want you to read about how we at this organization are aiding injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a law enforcement officer and you have been injured or disabled and you feel forgotten and alone, this is why we exist. We have a fully trained peer support team all made of police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed up. They know what you're going through, and we exist for you. You are the part of the Blue family, and you deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, many police agencies and cities do not treat their officers with respect and dignity when they are injured, either physically or emotionally. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a citizen and you want to help, please, Check out how you can join And if you're a police officer or have them, exist for you. So check out thewoundedblue.org. Now, I would also urge you to see our film. It is on Amazon, it is on iTunes, it's the Microsoft Store. It's pretty much every platform you can imagine. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You would be shocked at how the men and women of this, you know, the law enforcement community in this country Many are being treated with such disrespect. Many people, most people, even cops, believe that if you are severely injured in the line of duty, you're going to be taken care of financially and emotionally. In many cases, that is not true. Please watch the film and help the Wounded Blue. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we pay our respects to the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. This week I have three names to read. The first is Investigator Cecil Ridley of the Richmond County Sheriff's Office in uh, Georgia. Investigator Cecil Ridley was shot and killed while conducting a Subject stop at a convenience store at the intersection of Martin Luther King Jr. near 12th Street in Augusta. He was conducting proactive patrols with other members of the narcotics unit in response to recent gun violence in the area. They observed a group of individuals loitering in front of the convenience store and attempted to contact them. Upon seeing the investigators, one of the subjects walked into the store but was approached by a deputy inside. He began walking back outside when he saw Investigator Ridley walking into the store. The man immediately opened fire, striking Investigator Ridley. 
Other deputies returned fire as he fled into the parking lot, wounding him before taking him into custody. The subject who shot investigator Ridley was on parole for possession of cocaine with intent to distribute. Investigator Cecil Ridley, Richmond County Sheriff's Office, Georgia, end of watch, Tuesday, November 19th, 2019. The next officer to die in the line of duty this week. Police officer Rasheen McLean was shot and killed while responding to a domestic violence in which a woman's boyfriend had broken into her home and threatened the occupants with a firearm. When responding officers arrived on the scene, they encountered the victims outside. They informed Officer McLean that the man was inside of the home and armed. Officer McLean and other officers began clearing the house to locate the subject. They had cleared the main level and second floor before they began to clear the basement. As they made their way down the basement stairs, the man emerged at the bottom and opened fire with a semi-automatic rifle, striking Officer McLean in the neck and another officer in the leg. The subject was wounded by additional officers after running outside of the home. He was taken into custody one block away. Officer McLean has served with the Detroit Police Department for 16 years. He is survived by his wife and two children. Officer Rasheen McLean, Detroit Police Department, end of watch, Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. The third officer to die in the line of duty this week, Sheriff John Williams Sr., also known as Big John. He's of the Lowndes County Sheriff's Office in Alabama. Sheriff John Williams was shot and killed at 8 p.m. while responding to a trespassing and noise complaint at a convenience store in Hainville. He had responded to the store after a store employee had called to report a large gathering of people in the parking lot who refused to leave. Sheriff Williams arrived at the scene and was speaking with an occupant of the truck when a male in the truck shot him. The male fled in the truck but later returned to the scene and turned himself in. Sheriff Williams was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and has served in law enforcement for over 40 years. He is survived by his wife and children. Sheriff John, Big John Williams, Lowndes County Sheriff's Office, Alabama, end of watch, Saturday, November 23, 2019. May they rest in peace. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement here on America Out Loud. And um, I ask you to do a couple things. Check me out on Facebook under the Voice of American Law Enforcement. Send me messages. I love to hear from my listeners. If you're a Twitterer, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. I'd also ask you to go to the Wounded Blue page on Facebook and like that and follow that. And if you haven't seen our documentary film, The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed, well, uh, go to Amazon and download it. It's a hell of a film. It'll blow your mind. Until next week, this is Randy Sutton signing off. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens 
When a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty, most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store.